My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Hi, Snap listeners. We are bringing you a special bonus episode today from Oxygen's hit series, Snapped Killer Couples. You can also watch full episodes on demand on the free Oxygen app or on Peacock by clicking the link in our description. Enjoy. When a young socialite goes missing, her family vows to bring her home. Somebody who's from an affluent, well-known, well-respected family doesn't just disappear. She had the so-called perfect life when she went missing that was unusual. The search for answers will lead investigators to uncover a disturbing scam by a master manipulator. You understand that you're being charged with obstruction of justice and forgery? Yes, sir. And turn the case of a missing person into a hunt for a killer. She had no moral compass. There was no such thing as true or false to her. He was going to do whatever he could do to help protect her. The coldness is beyond my understanding. This is one of the rare cases I've ever seen. You've got the state using their two key witnesses. One of them is honestly one of the craziest people I've ever seen in my life. Why would you murder your best friend for love? Some people in the world are evil. Charleston, South Carolina is a prominent port city known for its charm and southern hospitality. Charleston life is very laid back, very welcoming. Sit on your front porch with your neighbor or stranger and have a glass of iced tea. Life in Charleston is one of a slow pace. There's a rich culture and heritage here uh, in Charleston, uh, a lot of history. 
and Catherine Waring, known as Kate to friends and family, was a true daughter of Charleston. Kate and her family, they were multi-generational Charlestonians. She was like eighth or ninth generation here in Charleston. Kate had a very good family. Her dad is an attorney. She grew up downtown Charleston. She and her family, her father and her grandfather and her great-grandfather has been champions for the underdogs. Even though she lived in the high society along the Battery, you know, they were very humbled and down-to-earth people. Kate was extremely smart, caring, compassionate. She was college-educated. She was a phenomenal writer, you know. She had things published in the papers and so forth. She loved the travel. She spoke multiple languages. Went to Alaska with her father on a trip that she really loved. If she didn't want to be in one place, she would leave, and she would take trips all the time. In 2009, Kate returned to school, and her parents supported her as she made plans for her future. Kate re-enrolled in college to study Russian. She loved Russia. She just came back from a trip from Russia. But life for the 28-year-old jet setter would take a strange and unsettling turn in the summer of 2009. On June 15th, police in Charleston receive a concerning phone call from Kate Waring's parents. In the summer, the Waring family would live in their summer home or their beach home over on the uh, Isle of Palms. And Kate would occupy the house there on the Battery. She would be independent, could take care of herself, but she would contact her family and her parents on an everyday basis to let them know she's doing well. The Warings tell police that the last time they'd spoken to Kate was the afternoon of Friday, June 12th, when she called to check in. It was a normal conversation with her parents. They said there was nothing out of the ordinary. She'd planned to go to the gym, as she pretty much does every day, stop by the pharmacy to pick up a prescription, and she mentioned she had dinner plans with her friend Ethan Mack. Kate and Ethan were extremely close friends. This was no different than any other uh, night that they would have together in that they would a lot of times go out for dinner and drinks, uh, socialize. According to Kate's parents, nothing seemed amiss when they spoke to their daughter. When she hadn't called in two days, however, her parents began to worry. Her father drove into Charleston, where Kate was staying. Kate wasn't in the house but the lights were on, and he thought maybe that meant she was coming back home. The Warings knew Kate didn't go out of town because there was just too many things that were still at the house of her personal belongings. There was medication that was still in her room unused. Her credit cards were not being used. And she relied on her parents for monetary needs. So once all the communication and lines of communication had been cut and stopped, then the Warings knew that Kate had to have been missing. After taking the missing persons report, 
Charleston police begin reaching out to Kate's friends, hoping to track her down. They start with her best friend, Ethan Mack. Police confirmed that Ethan lived on John's Island with his mother, so they sent a detective out to talk to him. Ethan was Kate's friend. He would always talk about her. They were always really close. They pretty much were two amigos that hung out together. They shared everything in their lives on a friendship level. Police learned, like Kate, 30-year-old Ethan was a Charleston native, but he grew up far from the Battery. We grew up on John's Island. Back then, it was quiet. It was nice and peaceful and country, if that, if that describes it. It wasn't, wasn't no city life. Despite their different upbringings, when Kate met Ethan as a young adult, she was drawn to his strong values and caring nature. Kate really loved Ethan, and Ethan loved Kate. They were like brothers and sisters. Kate was the godparent of Ethan's nephew. She loved the Mack family. She would do anything for them. It's like they adopted her and she adopted them. Ethan tells detectives that he had last seen Kate on the evening of June 12th, when he and his fiance, Heather Angelica Camp, had met Kate for dinner. Heather was a pediatric surgeon up at MUSC, the Medical University of South Carolina. On June 12th, they were all celebrating because Heather had just found out she was pregnant. Ethan Mack picked up Kate from her house along with uh, Heather Camp, and then they drove over to the Wasabi's restaurant. Said that he had dropped Kate Waring back home after 11 p.m. Upon learning that Kate is missing, Ethan tells police he's worried for his friend. Where is Kate from there? Was it a situation where she decided to leave her own and fall off the grid? Or was it a situation where something nefarious happened to her? Coming up, police track down their first lead when they uncover skeletons in Kate's closet. There had been some previous romantic relationship. His wife had recently found out she was very unhappy, and she had what a lot of people describe as a fiery temperament. And a disturbing revelation will shine a spotlight on someone close to the missing woman. She was essentially a con artist. Police in Charleston, South Carolina, are searching for 28-year-old Kate Waring after her parents reported her missing in June 2009. After learning from Kate's friend, Ethan Mack, that she was last seen sometime before midnight on June 12th, police begin reconstructing her movements earlier in the day. That particular uh, day of Kate's disappearance, Kate had took the Black Cat Cab Company to the gym. And at some point in time, the taxi cab brought Kate to the CVS pharmacy where she picked up her prescription. We saw her on video at the CVS pharmacy downtown. 
She gets the prescription. She comes out of the pharmacy. She has no contact with anybody else. When police reach out to Kate's gym, the manager confirms that Kate had been there. But he informs detectives that Kate had been involved in a troubling altercation. Witnesses told them on the day that Kate disappeared, they said she was on the Stairmaster when a woman approaches her and starts yelling. There was a confrontation in regards to her believing that Kate was having an affair with her husband. Detectives learn the woman is married to a gym employee and MMA instructor named Howard Gatch. There had been some previous romantic relationship. His wife had recently found out. Needless to say, she was very unhappy, and she had what people described as a fiery temperament. She had some words for Kate, stay away from, from Howard. I'm his wife, and she left. Police quickly track down Howard Gatch's wife and ask her to come to the station for an interview. She came in freely to talk to police. She was questioned at length. She did admit that she was in the middle of a contentious divorce, and she saw Kate as a distraction to that process. She did admit that they had a confrontation at the gym, but by all means, she had absolutely nothing to do with her disappearance. She said, I had nothing to do with any of this. Don't bother me. She provided information about who she was with, her friends she was with, where she was, and those all panned out. So Ms. Gatch was eliminated as a suspect in doing anything to have harmed Kate. When police ask Mrs. Gatch about her husband, they're surprised to learn that he'd recently left the country the day before Kate was reported missing. He ended up going on a, uh, on a cruise to the Bahamas. Detectives' attempts to contact Howard go straight to voicemail, which only adds fuel to their growing suspicions. A week later, detectives finally get a call back. When I returned, I had a message from the police department. They asked me if I'd be willing to come in and talk to them. I said, yep, I'll be there immediately. From a police perspective, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out this does not look good for you, Howard. But my trip had been planned for six months. When police sit down with Howard for a formal interview, they press him about his relationship with Kate. He doesn't deny the affair, but he claims he and his wife were already separated when he began dating Kate a month earlier. Kate and I first met at a gym. I worked out and she came in. And we just sort of hit it off and started training and we just became best friends from there on out. I cared deeply for Kate. I loved Kate. Howard tells police he spoke to Kate several times on June 12th. Kate and I were together that afternoon. We saw each other at the gym, and we talked at 10 PM. She was like, yeah, I'm riding around with Heather and Ethan. 
According to Howard, he received one last message from Kate's phone late that same night. I got a weird text around midnight. She sent me a text and said, I'm going to Greenville to pick up some lovely. I'm like, what is lovely and why are you going to Greenville? That next morning, I woke up and I looked at my phone and she hadn't texted me back. So I was busy because I was getting ready to leave to go out of the country. And then the following morning, I got a call from um, Mr. Waring, you know, Kate's dad. And he asked me, he said, have you seen um, or talked to Kate? And I said, no, Mr. Waring. When I got that call from him, I knew something was wrong because I knew for a fact that Kate admired and adored her dad and she spoke with him daily. One of the things that really struck me is like, my God, not knowing what happened to someone and I'm only her boyfriend. What is her father and her mother and her brothers going through? Unimaginable. Investigators find it suspicious that Howard would leave town knowing his girlfriend was missing. But Howard is adamant that he does not know where Kate is now. He asked me if I'd be willing to take a um, polygraph. I said, absolutely. He passed the polygraph test, and his alibi checked out for the most part by police. And Howard seemed genuinely concerned about where Kate was. He had uh, an alibi about where he was. So he was eliminated as a suspect. As police continue talking to Kate's friends, they learn others had received a similar text from her around midnight on June 13th. I received a text message from Kate's phone saying that she was going out of town for a while, some business she had to handle. That I thought it was strange because she never contacted me letting me know when she was going out of town or why like that. It just didn't seem like her words. I texted her back and I got no response. Kate's friends knew that she would just not up and leave without any explanation. Her family also knew she would just not up and leave. The more days that went by, police were certainly concerned that the more difficult it might be to bring her home safely. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. 
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. It's been a week since the family of Kate Waring reported her missing in Charleston, South Carolina. And local police are no closer to finding the 28-year-old socialite. Without any solid evidence that Kate's been harmed, police must consider that she may have left town without telling anyone. There was no indication she was in danger. There was no indication she was going to harm herself. With adult and missing persons, if there's no indication of foul play or they're in danger, nothing really happens. Weeks pass with no word from Kate Waring, and the case to find her grows cold. Her parents become increasingly afraid and frustrated. Once the family members were frustrated with the police's mode of operation, Andy Savage was put on notice. Andy Savage is one of, if not the best criminal defense attorney in the Charleston area. I was a very good investigator and hard-nosed police officer on the city of Charleston Police Department. And once we met, I started working for Andy. We formed a pretty good team. They had worked on other important cases in the past, and they were considered so good, they were called unofficially the A-Team. When Kate's family reaches out to the team, Andy Savage is quick to offer his assistance. Andy made contact with me and said, let's put our heads together and figure out how we can help this family resolve the issue of their child being missing. Private investigators Bill Capps and James Randolph begin building their own case outside the police investigation. They quickly come to the same conclusion as Kate's family. Kate would not have left town and leave all of her medications, cut off communication with her cell phones, not use her credit card, not contact her parents. That in itself was very troubling. When private investigators obtain Kate's cell phone records, however, they're able to track her movements out of Charleston on the night of June 12th. She had been downtown all evening because all the activity using her phone had been using towers downtown. She went out to dinner down in the market area. About the time that they left the restaurant, shortly thereafter, her signal changed. She used a cell phone sometime after 11 p.m. And the records from the towers of the cell phone showed her phone transmitting from a James Island area. The investigative team begins canvassing the island, hoping that someone may have seen Kate Waring. Within days, they get a promising tip from a local landlord. 
the owner of the property said, hey, this guy told the police that he's living in his mama's house from John's Island. He's not. He's renting a little house right behind my house here on James Island. One of our investigative team members was able to come up with the information that Ethan Mack was living on James Island. The private investigators know that Ethan had told police that he lived on John's Island, more than 10 miles away. They knew that Kate's phone had last pinged on James Island. And now they're learning that Ethan lived on James Island with his fiance, Heather Camp. So why would Ethan hide this information in the wake of Kate's disappearance? While investigators begin surveilling Ethan and Heather, they dig deeper into the couple's life. They learn Kate Waring had introduced them after Kate befriended Heather in May 2009. Heather Camp had claimed that she had some sort of medical degree, that she was a doctor, and she could take care of sick people. Kate Waring offered to get her a job here. She offered her her home. She offered her friendship. Ethan was the, the best friend that Kate had in the world. Um, and now she meets this new person, uh, Heather, and so, Kate's thinking, well, listen, you know, I've got my two best friends. Let me introduce them to each other because maybe they'll hit it off. Maybe they'll be good for each other. You know, Ethan needs somebody. Heather needs somebody. Ethan and Heather hit it off immediately once Kate introduced the two of them. They were inseparable. It was love at first sight. But the private investigators quickly discover that Heather isn't the person she had claimed to be. Police began digging into Heather Camp's life. They found out she had a pretty lengthy rap sheet, including being charged with three counts of armed robbery in 2000. By 2006, she was arrested for forging her grandmother's name on a check. Forgery was a, a running theme with pretty much everybody that she came into contact with. Heather was essentially a con artist. The private investigators know that Ethan had told police that he lived on John's Island, more than 10 miles away. Heather would portray herself as either a doctor or a nurse. That was a ruse she had used several times. Heather could convince most people of pretty much anything she wanted to. Investigators decide to focus on Kate Waring's financial records. That's when Kate's father tells them about a suspicious transaction that had occurred three days after Kate went missing. On June 15th, someone tried to cash a check for $4,500 signed by Kate Waring and dated June 12th. They only failed because Kate had less than $200 in her bank account. You have some very smart and observant tellers who know the Waring family, know that the transaction that was uh, being made uh, was out of character for Kate's checkbook. So you have the teller who observed that that particular check was not written by Kate Waring. 
Once we became aware of this, I contacted an acquaintance of mine uh, who was in charge of security for the South Carolina Federal Credit Union. And I said, listen, could you check your James Island branch on Folly Road and see if you have any video of anybody trying to cash this forged check? And I gave him the time and date and he, he sat in his office and looking at his system, he says, hey, I can send you a couple of screenshots right now. And there was Ethan Mack on camera standing there trying to cash that $4,500 Ford check. When you see someone on a camera cashing a check, a forged check of a woman who just went missing, he looks very obviously fully guilty. Coming up, as investigators zero in on their suspects, an unexpected affair comes into focus. She is straightening up her clothes. There's only two of them in there. She goes from town to town, destroying things. She creates this fantasy world. He got caught up, he got manipulated, and it destroyed his life. months after Kate Waring went missing from her Charleston home, a team of private investigators have found evidence that Kate's best friend, Ethan Mack, and his fiancee, Heather Camp, had attempted to cash a forged check three days after her disappearance. In order for the handwriting expert to determine that the check was not written by Kate Waring, we need exemplar writings from Ethan Mack, Heather Camp to figure out whether or not they were actually the ones that had signed the check that Mack was trying to cash. In order to keep their suspects in the dark, the private investigators decide to contact Ethan and Heather's landlord to see if he can obtain a handwriting sample. They learn that the couple is several months behind on their rent. Their rent was in serious arrears. So their landlord was in the process of evicting them. We would lose sight of them if they were evicted. We wouldn't have a way of knowing where they was, and then they could scatter. We concocted a plan for the landlord to have them handwrite out a document using both of their handwritings and agreeing you know, to give them some more time to pay on the rent. The plan worked. Ethan and Heather both signed individual promissory notes that had their signatures on them and gave those to their landlord. And he turned that over to us, which we asked him to do. So we had all, all the exemplars we needed for, uh, for the handwriting expert. When the note is forensically examined, the expert confirms a match. Looked at it and immediately said, yep, no question. That handwriting was done by Heather Camp. As investigators continue to surveil Ethan and Heather, they catch a surprise break. There were two houses in total behind the landlord's house on James Island where they were living. A gentleman named Terry Williams was living there. He was, uh, I guess, an old friend, an acquaintance, perhaps, uh, of Ethan's. While Ethan is at work one day, they spot Heather sneaking over into their neighbor's apartment. So investigators decide to focus their attention on Terry. 
The next day, we knocked on Terry's door. Uh, Terry came to the door. We started talking to Terry and said, hey, listen, man, you live close to these folks. They come and go in your spot all the time. We know you have a good idea of, of, of what happened. While we're talking to Terry Williams, to talk to the bedroom, open up, and come flying out is Heather Camp, yelling and screaming. She's straightening up her clothes. There's only two of them in there. Apparently, Heather was also romantically involved with Terry Williams. That's when Heather makes a telling admission. She makes a call to Ethan Mack, say, hey, Andy Savage's investigators are here trying to get Terry to roll on us. And when she said, roll on us, in our mind, that was a confession of guilt. We knew for Terry to roll on you, you had to have done something for Terry to roll. Sensing the private investigators are closing in, Heather Camp makes an unexpected move. She actually called the Charleston Police Department soon after and told the detective in charge of the case she wanted to talk to him. On August 17th, 10 weeks after Kate Waring vanished, Heather Camp meets with Charleston police. She begins her statement by admitting that she and Ethan had been stealing from Kate for several weeks. Kate was aware that her and Ethan had been stealing checks out of her checkbook. She and Ethan knew that Kate had found out about all the forged checks they were attempting to cash from her account and that Heather had taken out a credit card in Kate's name. Kate told them she would not press charges, but that they must return the money. Mac felt pressured because Kate was putting her parents on notice that there's some monies here being taken without my permission. That infuriated Mac. According to Heather, on the night of June 12th, Ethan had invited Kate to dinner so he could confront her. Once they uh, completed their meal and left the downtown area, they returned uh, to the home that uh, Ethan was sharing with Heather. Uh, this, again, was something that would be pretty normal uh, to occur. She claimed that once in Ethan's apartment, they were drinking. There was an argument, and Ethan attacked Kate and hit her in the head with a wine bottle. He then filled up the bathtub, took Kate to the bathtub, and drowned her. Heather said that she didn't try and stop it because she was afraid that the same thing would happen to her if she did not cooperate with Ethan while he was killing Kate. Police press Heather about the location of Kate's body, but she claims she doesn't know where Ethan left the body. Still, police place Heather under arrest for forgery and obstruction of justice and take Ethan Mack into custody. You understand that you're being charged with obstruction of justice and forgery? Yes, sir. OK. You've not been charged with murder. Y'all can put that on me, not Jay. But it's Not necessarily. He wouldn't talk without an attorney. 
He only admitted to forging a check, but he claimed he never knew what happened to Kate Waring. Without a body, prosecutors are unable to charge Heather and Ethan with murder. Looking for a break, the private investigation team pay Heather a jailhouse visit and get a surprise opportunity that convinces Heather to talk. That was an open Bay Area. They happened to bring Ethan out at the same time to be interviewed by law enforcement. We immediately tell Heather Camp, hey, those investigators from the police department in Max rolling on you. He's telling the cops all about you over there. Ethan's giving you up, I think was our term. Telling him that you did it all and it was all on you. She could see Ethan over there and she's trying to get his attention. So I'm standing in between the two of them so he can't see her. We've planted the seed that, hey, Max rolling on you now. He's got the cops in there and he's telling everything he knows. So at that point in time, Heather said, hey, I know where Kate's body is. I was there when Ethan dumped her body. Heather Camp stated that Ethan and Heather together took Kate's body and went out to an island neighboring James Island called Guatemala Island. We went back again to interview her. And this time, I had used Google Earth. I blew the map up of that area. In much better detail, she was able to indicate to us where we could find Kate. We went out the next morning uh, after notifying one of the detectives at the police department. is a pretty remote island. A lot of property with uh, not as many homes on it. Heather Camp had vividly recalled when Kate's body was placed, it was close to the water as they were scouring the area. And the team saw some skeletal remains. Immediately, we put the Charleston County Police Department on notice. We immediately backed out of the area this is an actual crime scene that doesn't belong to us any longer. We were positive that those remains was that of Kate Waring. On October 10th, 2009, nearly four months after Kate Waring went missing in Charleston, South Carolina, authorities believe they have just found her remains on neighboring Wadmala Island. Charleston police took control of the crime scene. Other than the skeletal remains, there wasn't much evidence to be found. And the state of decay was so extreme, the coroner couldn't determine the cause of death. Once the coroner officially confirms the remains belong to Kate Waring, both Ethan Mack and Heather Camp are charged with her murder prompting Heather to cut a deal. She had accepted a reduced sentence as long as she fully and honestly cooperated. Heather changed her story so many times. She had different scenarios on why uh, somebody was after Kate. She claimed that she had family in Puerto Rico that was going to get Kate. She claimed that there's some drug dealer that was after Kate for something. She had no barometer for truth. 
there was no such thing as true or false to her. It was just whatever she is going to say to take her to the next step. On October 5th, 2010, nearly a year and a half after Kate's murder, Ethan Mack goes on trial. Ethan's defense team doesn't deny Ethan was present when Kate died. Instead, they claim Heather was the killer. The perspective that Ethan Mack laid out at trial was one that he was a facilitator, but he didn't actually do what Heather Camp alleged that he did. Uh, he played a role in getting Kate there to the house, but then said it was Heather Camp that it did the bludgeoning with the bottle, and that he went in another room and covered his ears. Let's look at motive. Who's got motive in this case? Heather's a person that creates her own worlds. She creates places where she's important. She goes from town to town. She's like a cancer, to be honest. She goes from town to town, destroying things. But what she does originally is she creates this fantasy world. Ethan's attorney claims that, like Kate, Ethan was victimized by Heather Camp. Ethan Mack never had a girlfriend. He never had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone that he loved or loved him. Heather Camp had him smitten. He fell for Heather Camp, hook, line, and sinker. Heather convinced Ethan that she was carrying his baby. And so he believed that, you know, his child was coming. She told him that she eventually lost the baby in jail. But there was never any medical evidence that she was pregnant with his child. It's mind-blowing that Ethan who was described by friends as very reliable, dependable, a good-mannered guy, would betray his best friend, Kate. And it really goes to show just how powerful Heather's manipulation over Ethan was. When Heather Camp takes the stand for the prosecution, Ethan's defense team uses her testimony to their benefit. David Ayler crossed Heather Camp on the stand for a day and a half in court. And it was basically a clown show. I caught her lying on the stand um, more times than I could count. A lot of witnesses are flawed, but she was probably uh, one of the worst I've ever seen. Again, Ms. Camp, I'm going to ask you about some statements, and I would like you to tell me if, whether or not you made those statements. I don't recall saying any, but I mean, it's possible I said any, but I don't recall. Could it be that you told so many lies you couldn't remember what they all were? No. Well, then why couldn't you recall what you'd said? Because it's been a while to... It'd been a while, since October to January was a while? Yeah, for me, it is. The only part that had any credibility whatsoever was that she knew the location of Kate's body. In their closing statements, the defense's message to the jury is clear. Heather must have been involved, but you cannot trust what she's saying about Ethan. After three days of testimony, the case goes to the jury. 
After nearly 14 hours of deliberation, the jury announces their verdict. We, the jury, by unanimous consent, find the defendant guilty of obstruction of justice. We, the jury, by unanimous consent, find the defendant guilty of forgery. Ethan was found guilty of forgery and obstruction of justice, but the jury deadlocked on the murder charge. The trial was hung, so essentially it's considered a mistrial uh, because the jury has to be unanimous. The two jurors who voted not guilty told us that they voted that way because they saw Heather Camp, they saw how deceptive she was. Prosecutors announce plans to try Ethan again, but they never get the chance. His mother went to talk to him, and she told him, basically, as I understand it, I didn't raise you like this. You need to do the right thing. And he did. On April 1st, 2011, nearly two years after the death of his best friend, Kate Waring, Ethan Mack accepts a plea bargain. He pled under an offered plea, which essentially means that he's not admitting guilt, but he is saying that he believes he would be found guilty. Ethan did express remorse and apologized directly to the family of the victim at the time of his plea. He was sentenced to 25 years. Heather Camp, however, is denied any bargain. She is sentenced to 39 years in prison. She had made a deal for leniency for her cooperation, and then she continued to lie to them about pretty much everything. So she lost her plea deal. In my opinion, had Kate not met Heather Camp, she might still be with us today. Six weeks from the time they met, Kate was deceased. Six weeks. And she'd known Ethan for years. Ethan was Kate's friend. Ethan was supposed to be the one to protect her, not, not hurt her. It is greed. Greed makes uh, people change, and it made Ethan change. He killed his friend for it. If I could talk to Ethan and say one thing, why? Why would you murder your best friend for love? Kate really cared for him, and he got caught up. He got manipulated, and it destroyed his life, Kate's life, Kate's family's life, and his family's life. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. 
As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.